Pages 10 and 11 include the outline for today's service. And we come this morning to the eighth commandment of the ten that we've been focusing on this summer. Thou shalt not steal. We've talked about the, the thread of commonality that runs through all ten of the commandments. And that is submission, subjection, subordination to the Lord. You might want to have other gods before him. There are many things in this world that are attractive. But he says, you shall have none others before me. Recently, in the matter of dishonoring our parents, we may think they have failed us. Nevertheless, he calls us to honor our father and mother. And if we obey the Ten Commandments, it's essentially a submission of our heart to his truth. Now, how can this be characterized as we come to the Eighth Commandment? Recently, in the sermons on the Seventh Commandment, I mentioned the fact that transgressing the Ten Commandments is a little bit like a child touching a hot stove. The parents are working about the house, and they say, now, don't touch the stove. If you touch the stove, it will burn you. You won't like the consequences of that. Breaking the Ten Commandments is the effect of touching the stove. Having been warned, having been told, nevertheless going against what has been promised or what, what has been commanded. I'd like to broaden that description a little bit this morning and have you imagine with me a couple who have been dating for a while now and they're beginning to be serious. And so they decide to meet one evening to have coffee and talk about their future together. And the woman says to the man who's there, she says, I just want to tell you a few things as we move along in our, in our relationship. And one of them is, is I cannot stand cigarette smoke. Maybe you've noticed that so far, but I just cannot be around it. There's no way. I noticed that you smoke and uh, I, I just can't take it. His response to her is, that's what I do. I've smoked all my life. I smoke two or three packs a day. So she moves on to another subject. She says, if we get married, I would like us to live below our means. I want us to live a simple life. I don't want to always be in debt and always be strained and stressed over finances. I want to live significantly below our income. His response is, no way. I'd like to have three or four houses. I want a luxurious vacation every year, every month. Live below the means, you've got to be crazy. No way. Well, she says, moving on, I'd like to, when we get married, I want to live in a multicultural community. I love diversity. I like to meet people from all walks of life and all backgrounds, and I hope we can move into a neighborhood, an apartment or a house where it's culturally diverse racially diverse and his response is no way you can't trust those people I'm not moving into that kind of a neighborhood I'm sticking with my own people but I want you to know that I love you <laughs> and I want to get married now, how do you think that's going to work out she didn't make commandments. She didn't lay down laws, but she laid down strong preferences 
She said, if you love me, don't smoke around me. If you love me, let's try to live a little more simply. If you love me, let's move into a more culturally diverse neighborhood. And he says no to all three. If you're the woman, you're wondering, does he love me at all? He's not listening to me. He doesn't agree with me and the things that mean the most to me. In the same way, when our Father lays down commandments and guidance, and we say, no thank you, we are saying to him, I don't love you. I love me. I want what I want, and I don't want to listen. I don't want to conform myself. I don't want to do what you want me to do. That happens all the time in human relationships, but when it happens with the Lord, there are serious consequences. And this morning we talk about the bondage that comes as a, as a result of stealing. Now, stealing can take many forms, and that's the Eighth Commandment. You can steal money or possessions that belong to somebody else. You can go into their yard, into their house, into their, their desk at work. You can take stuff from them. You can steal their purse. You can steal their camera. You can steal their phone. You can take any number of things. That's certainly part of it, but it's much broader than that. You can take the answers on your neighbor's test, put them down as your own. You can, as a, as a uh, uh, vendor, you can charge unfair prices. You can gouge people when you know they can't stop it or when, when, you're, when you really have them in a tight spot. And of course, we can all steal from our employer the time that we are paid for. So stealing is much broader than just money. But it leads to the same thing, whatever form it takes, and that is bondage. Listen now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness, that is doing what God says, obeying the commandments, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, that they may be set free. Stealing creates its own bondage. It creates its own requirements. If you're regularly taking answers from someone else's test, in class, for example, over time you become that person. And the teacher begins to expect you to have competence in those areas that you really don't have. And it puts you in a terrible bind and situation. And of course, we all know the bondage of overspending and overdoing financially. It seems that there are two things that we are counseled to in summary as a response. First of all, simplify your life. Godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. We brought nothing into it. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Be satisfied with what you have. 
Don't allow material possessions which are all around us and a culture which is seeking them so wide, openly and furiously, don't allow those things to turn your head away from Christ. Don't allow those things to become too important. This world is important in its own way, but the things of the world are not to be put first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. It's not that money is wrong by itself anymore that, as we saw last week, that sex is wrong by itself. What is wrong is what we do with it and what we allow it to become. For as Paul says, it is a root of all kinds of evil. And everybody who has lived in this world for more than a few years knows that that's true. So what do I do in response? How do I get a hold of myself so that I don't overspend, so that I bring my life with integrity into conformity? Let me suggest a few things. He says, do not disengage from doing good deeds. Those who are rich, though they have plenty of money, should not then call themselves to ease and get on the sidelines and be served. But they should, like their Savior, be a servant for others and continue to engage in this world. Be rich in good deeds, in helping others, in giving to them. John Newton says, do these, this practical thing. Divide your life into three categories. What are the necessities? They're a little different for everybody, but basic human needs. Secondly, he says, conveniences. What is at your disposal that you could do without? He says, take half of your disposable income and give it away. Invest it in other people. Proverbs 7, 19 says, lend it to the Lord. Give it to his work. So you have your necessities, then you have your conveniences. And you take half of your conveniences and you give that away. That's bigger than a tithe. And then luxuries... You do what the woman suggested in my illustration earlier. You do not live at the level you can afford. You bring yourself down a few notches. This is not a call, as I say, to asceticism or poverty, but it is a call to invest in the Lord's work, to so-called loan it to him and him give it back to us later when we need it, to be rich in good deeds. If you have prospered, if God has blessed you, the proper response is not luxury and ease. The proper response is investment in good deeds to help others. That's the Christian response. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He who was rich beyond all measure came into this world and departed from all of those prerogatives and luxuries and gave himself for us. Chief of those was his standing as the Son of God. He gave it up. And at Calvary... The relationship that was his, he surrendered to his father for us so that his righteousness might become ours. So in summary of 1 Timothy, live a simpler life. I know that's not easy. You know that it is a struggle and a trial because all around us is temptation and things and what other people are doing, an opportunity. 
Nevertheless, the keeping of the commandment is to subordinate. And if we will submit to him in living a simpler life, the need to steal will go away. You'll need less. The need to take will be simplified. There's a second thing we can do, and that Paul recommends, in one of the more obscure sections of the New Testament. I think this is just really, really wonderful. 1 Thessalonians 4. Listen to these words. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now before we get into the specifics of this, I want you to know two things. He says, I want you to be ambitious about this. Not to get richer, not to be greater, not to be faster and stronger necessarily, but to do these things. It's not going to happen unless you make it your ambition. This isn't natural. This isn't the normal inclination of our hearts. But we are to make it our ambition, to work at it intentionally. And then secondly, he says in this passage buried in the middle of it, he said, just as we told you, this isn't the first time I told you this, he said. I've been teaching this to you. I want you to get this. This is repetitive. Listen to the three things I want you to do. I want you to lead a... At base, this word means rest, a quiet and restful life. Isn't that what everybody wants? But the reason we don't have that quiet and restful life is because we haven't made it our ambition. We've allowed ourselves to be pushed and pulled by the swayings of our own heart and of our culture, and we've caused ourselves to become an unquiet people. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life. Step back from some of your obligations, which are really just your desires and another guy's. Secondly, mind your own business. Don't worry about what other people are doing. God made you unique. Of course you can't help but observe and hear what other people are doing, but don't let that enter in. You're not living their life. They're not living yours. Mind your own business. Concentrate on yourself. Any parent has told this to, any, to all the children who, if they've had multiple children in their family, they, the one child comes to the parent and tells on the other, etc., and the parent says, mind your own business. So live a quiet life. Mind your own business. And work with your hands. Some commentators have taken this to mean, you know, a call to manual labor. I don't think so. What I think it means is do your own work. Don't look on your neighbor's paper in school. Do your own work. Don't try to beat people out by scheming and conniving and cheating them through bait and switch or whatever. Do your own work. Work with your hands. Indeed, in Ephesians 4.28, it says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work 
doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Not a call to manual labor, but to do your own work. And not try to beat others out of it. So there are three things that I believe Paul has given us to help us defeat our love of money. Live a quiet, restful life. Take some more time off. Don't keep putting burdens on yourself. When you say that other people are putting burdens on me, then push them away. Make it your ambition, Paul says, to step back, to slow down, to be restful. Secondly, mind your own business. You've got enough on your plate. You don't need to run the world. The political parties. One of my big temptations is I try to manage the St. Louis Cardinals every summer. (laughs) It doesn't work well with all the other stuff I have to do. Leave it alone. They'll take care of themselves. Mind your own business. Let, Let them take care of themselves. And finally, work with your hands. The outcome is awesome. The outcome is the two things that we really need. He says, as a result, you will have a good testimony. Your life will will then win the respect of outsiders. Not with your stuff, but with your quietness. Look at how peaceful that man is, that woman. They have all the same problems we do, but look how they handle them. They have the repose of Christ. The peace that passes understanding. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, your, your daily life would win the respect of outsiders and you will not be dependent on anybody. Wow. Those are two things that we really want. We love the status and respect that comes from outsiders. We want their appreciation and their approbation. Indeed. And we certainly don't want it to be dependent on others. This is a promise. So make it your ambition. Next week we'll look also again at the Eighth Commandment and Kevin will bring a sermon on it. I'm sure that's somewhat different than this in terms of its focus and emphasis. But in the meantime, listen to the two simple things that Paul counsels. Be content and live a simple life. A simple life. The Amish love this. But I was talking to an Amishman the other day at their little place over here and she was saying Amish woman she said I'm, I'm too busy you guys you English make us too busy when we come in here when it rains everybody comes in here and we buy stuff and can't even wait on people the Amish try to live a simple life but even they get sucked into it instead what we should do is what our savior did we should give come away to a quiet places and pray Not get caught up in the things and affairs of this world and serve. Well, my time is gone, but in conclusion, let us remember that he who was rich beyond all measure has become poor for us. And our call to be content and our call to live a simple and quiet life is in the stead of our Savior. We walk in his path. We follow him. We do as he did. He is wise. No one was busier than he was. But no one was more at peace. No one was pushed and pulled by the forces of even of the invisible spiritual world than he was. And yet he was faithful 
and he did his own work. And he mind his own business. May the Lord enable us to steal no longer, but instead to serve him with a simple and quiet life. May we pray. We thank you, Lord, for this reminder, for this call to service. May those who are rich in our congregation be rich in good deeds. Having the necessities of life enable us to give more than a tithe to your work. And when we are in business, may we charge fair prices. When we are in school, may we do our own work. When we are at work, may we give a full day's labor for a full day's pay. May we serve you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And seek first your kingdom that these other things may be added to it as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.